You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Well, good morning, everybody. Sorry to interrupt your conversations, but I'm going to. If I, uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name's Jake Box. I'm the lead pastor here at Midtown Church. Really glad that you're joining us today, especially if you're visiting, you're uh, uh, new to our church or perhaps new to church or haven't been in a church for a long time. I know that it's kind of a big deal. can be a little nerve-wracking to show up at a new church, Uh, but we are so glad that you did and hope that you feel really welcomed and invited and helped in your uh, walk with God or your exploration of who he is. We just love that you're here. But um, let me ask, let me start off the message this this morning with a question for you. If you could have dinner, get some time with someone that fascinates you, someone that you greatly admire, who would you, who would you invite over for dinner? If you know that they were going to accept it, who who are you going to get time with? Who are you inviting? Brene Brown. In fact, in my notes, it says, I know we have some Brene Brown fans in our church. She would probably make some of your lists. That's hilarious. Um, awesome. Brene Brown. Okay. Uh, I would probably pick Tim Keller, author, pastor, author, author and pastor. There's, there it is. I've had too much coffee today. Author and pastor, uh, uh, Tim, Tim Keller, who's playing a church in New York City, had a profound impact on that city, and and uh, playing many churches, written many books that influenced me. I'd probably get some time with him. Who would you choose? My guess is that you would pick someone that, that you, at least to some degree, want to be like, right? Because the, 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 the thing that would really be enjoyable about that dinner is not just that you get to be with someone that you really admire, though that would be cool, that you actually get to, get to know them, they get to know you, but wouldn't you want to like pepper them with questions to kind of find a little bit about how their mind works and how they think and maybe the things that influence them to think the way they did so that you can take note of that and perhaps you can read those books or listen to those people too so that you could become something like that person. Like you would get together with them, not just to spend time with them, but also so that you could begin to think like they think. So you could become a little bit like them. Well, today, today we uh, come to a passage in Scripture as we continue our study through the book of Philippians that we've been in for a few weeks now, we come to a passage in Philippians 2, 5 through 11, that uh, it's been said of this passage, that if the Bible was a mountain range, this would be one of its two or three highest peaks. This is one of the greatest, in my opinion, passages in all of Scripture. And here's why. Well, among many reasons, but here's here's the one I want to point out today. Uh, It's because this passage it gives us insight into the very mind of God. Like this passage, if we were, it's almost as if we get to sit down with God and find out what makes him tick. Like to actually pull back the curtain a little bit and see, how do you think? Like how does your mind work? And this passage does this for two reasons. One, so we can just enjoy being with God. So actually you can be moved to worship him. But also so that having learned how he thinks, having given an insight into how God's mind works, we might be able to start thinking like he thinks. That knowing God's mind would help change our mind. In fact, this passage begins, verse 5, with this statement. In your relations with one another, have the same mindset 
as Christ Jesus. And then it goes on to explain what Jesus' mindset is. But you have to remember the whole point of it is so we can have that same mindset. So that we can think like God thinks. Now, before we get into the passage, let me just say something real quick. Some of y'all might hear that and think, I don't know if I want to think the way that God thinks. I mean, that would be a fair statement. Like, that's how you feel, like, especially if you're exploring who God is and you're not actually sure if there is a God or you don't know, you know if it's the God revealed in Christianity. Like, like you know, I don't know. I'm kind of undecided about the whole God thing. Therefore, I'm not so sure I would want to think like God thinks. That, that makes sense. Or especially if you're mad at God. If you're mad at God, then I would understand you say, well, I don't want to have anything to do with God. Or I definitely don't want to think like he thinks. I'm upset for how he thinks because that's what's led to this. Now I'm mad at him. If that's where you are, let me just say real quick. Um, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, we absolutely love that you're here. We actually uh, are committed to, as a church family, making uh, uh, not just this place, but us as a people, uh, a safe group of people where you can explore and you can voice your doubts and you can voice your hurts and your anger and, and, and we won't judge you for that and we certainly won't kick you out or tell, tell you that you can't talk about that stuff. No, we, would, we invite that, okay? And so if, this, if that's where you are here, just know that we're committed to being a safe people for you and we're glad that you're here. Now, let me also add, I'm especially glad you're here today, because this passage we're looking at, it not only gives us insight into the mind of God, kind of telling us who God is and what's he like and how he thinks, but I'm really glad you're here because not, when, when we get that insight, I'll tell you, friends, it's surprising. It's surprising to learn how God thinks. And, and I know this is kind of a weird word to use, but I've thought all week, like, what's the best word? Like, I think the word is... It, it, it's attractive. Like what we're told here in the scripture, like it, at least for me, it, it, it draws me to, it attracts me to God. And to the point that, and this is my assumption, and I could be wrong, but I think that even if you're questioning or you doubts or you're mad, like if what you hear today about the mind of God, I think you'll leave today thinking, well, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's really what God's like. But I hope it is. And I hope that that's what God really is like. This is amazing. So let's get into this. Let's look today. I feel like we're treading on hollow ground. We're going to actually look into the mind of God so that God's mind can change our mindset towards others. All right, so that's where we're going. Open up to Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 11. If you have your Bibles or pull it up on your phone, or uh, we'll have the words right up here on the screen for you to follow along this way. And let me just begin with the first two verses here. So it says, Philippians 2, verse 5, in your relations with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, talking about Jesus, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Okay, now let me stop there and, and, and uh, point out something super important. I'm actually going to spend a few minutes here because I think it is really significant. And that's this, that when I talk about we're looking, this passage gives us insight into the mind of God. It's helpful to know that this passage clearly states that Jesus is God. So when we look into the mind of God, we're looking into Jesus' mind and he is 
God, like fully God. In fact, just to go to this passage, look how it says it, that he is in very nature God. Now, let me get a little bit geeky on you, all right? A little, like, theological little, little pastor kind of nerd out a little bit real quick. I, won't, I could do this a lot on this passage. I'm going to try to limit myself. But hey, let me just point out in this right here that the word, the Greek word that, we, that is translated in very nature or, or very nature of is, is, is the Greek word morphe. And morphe literally means the essence of something or that which makes something what it is. Right, And so this translation is a very good translation. The very nature of, that's what morphe means. So there is another word in the Greek, schema, which would talk about being in the appearance of or having the, the form of, but not really being that. Paul could have used schema here, but he uses morphe because he's saying the very essence of or in very nature God, like Jesus is God. What makes God God, that's what Jesus has. <laughs> Jesus is God. Now, in addition to that, in case you're like, well, what is, is that really what he means? Look at the next phrase. So he says, and being in the very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Okay, think. That statement doesn't make any sense unless he's equal with God. Like, well, of course he didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. He wasn't he wasn't equal with God. No, Paul is saying he is equal with God. That's why this is a statement that, that has some substance to it when we'll unpack in a second. So Paul is making a very, very, in, in really clear and strong statement that Jesus is God. Very nature, equal with God. Now, you might say, okay, well, <laughs> Clearly, that means that he's equal with God, uh, but what in the world does that mean, equal with God, because that doesn't make sense. Like, if he is God, then who is he equal to, right? Equal with God? Like, why don't you just say, he is God? Like, why equal with God? What, who's the God that he's equal with? <laughs> and if you're thinking that, then, hey, good for you, because you're critically thinking right now, and that's, that's, that's impressive. But, uh, um. Is that a backhanded compliment? I didn't mean that as a backhanded compliment. <laughs> but if you're thinking, if you're thinking who, like, who's the God that he's equal with, that, that's a big question that I honestly am going to uh, uh, inadequately answer right now, or, or insufficiently, I should say, answer, because it's, it's deserving of a much longer and better explanation than I can give you with the amount of time we have for this point. But here's the answer. Who is the God that Jesus is equal to, if Jesus is God? And the answer is uh, the other members of the Trinity. See, in Christian belief, we believe in Bible, God reveals to us through Scripture that he is one God, but, he, but eternally existing in three persons, which I know that's super mind-bending, right? But there's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Father, Son, Holy Spirit are all God, all equally God, that together they are the Godhead, or they, they are God. I know it's, it's hard to like put this into language, good language because it's like, wow, what, what in the world? I don't understand. But I don't either. But it's three in one, one in three. But this statement is that Jesus is equal with the other members of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son. That's Jesus, all 
God, equal with God. Now, I make this point because what is pointed out next, it loses, what what the passage goes on to say next, it, it loses some of its punch if you aren't completely like comprehending that at least, whether you believe it or not, at least you see that this is a statement that Jesus is divine, that he is deity, that he is God. Because the next part of this starts giving us insight into how he thinks. And you need to get, it needs to be crystal clear in your mind that what we're told next is actually the very mind of God. All right? Because here is what we're told next. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God, suffering to be used to his own advantage, or to put it this way, he did not consider or, or think that equality God was something to be used to his own advantage. Like, this is the insight into his mind. And here's what, here's what we learn. And again, friends, I think that this is really amazing. It's that he did not think that being God was something that he should leverage for his own selfish interests. That's how God's mind works. Now, I want you to sit there for a second. Because this is different than how our minds work. All right, let me like, not presume. This is different than how my mind works. And I venture to say probably different than how your mind works. Because my mind works like I look for things, I look for opportunities to leverage for my own interests. And this is saying Jesus, though he had all opportunity to leverage things for his own interests because he had all power and authority, he doesn't even consider. Like he doesn't think about it. It's not how his mind works. He doesn't consider how to use who he is and the power he has for his own interests. Now compare this, compare this to one another. Like, have y'all, have y'all seen this, this picture uh, uh, floating around of Will Smith? <laughs> this is Will Smith in the upcoming new Disney live-action movie, Aladdin. And he's the genie. And, and, and it's, um, it's, I just wanted you to see it. That's no point of my message at all. I just thought that was funny. No, I'm just kidding. No, I've seen this showing up all over Instagram and showing up. And, and, and it had me thinking about uh, this illustration. So that's my connection. I'm just connecting the dots for you. Um, what, if you <laughs> what if you actually stumble across a magical lamp, right? You got a magical lamp. You rub it. Out pops a genie. Hopefully, he doesn't look like that. But out, out pops a genie, right? And now you have three wishes, and one of the rules is that you can't wish for more wishes. So you have three wishes, all right? And, and you're going to make wishes. What are you wishing for? What are you going to wish for? If it's me, I guarantee you one of those wishes I'm using just for my own selfish interests. Like I'm wishing something that's going to directly benefit me. And if I wasn't standing in, in, in a church worship service, I would say it was two, two. At least two of those wishes would really just be for me. I think that I really would genuinely use one of the other ones for like in, you know, in cancer or, or, you know, world peace or something really awesome that I'm like, I probably should wish for that since I have all this power. But the other two, and definitely one, would go for, to me. <laughs> what about you? 
You had the supernatural power, get anything you wish for. Are you wishing for something that's going to benefit you? At least with one of them? Or here, here's another illustration. On the, way to, uh, on the way here this morning, I bought a scratch-off lottery ticket. I haven't bought one of these since high school. Um, but, uh, I, and, and what's really funny is it's a $2 card, and I had to pay cash with it for it. I didn't even know that. So I had to like, pull out money from the ATM, which cost me $3 to do to buy a $2 scratch-off. So this better be a winner. But anyways, I, I bought this, and let's say I give this to you. And you scratch it off, and it says that you can win up to $30,000. Let's say you win $30,000. You win $30,000 today. How do you use that money? Do you you use some of it on yourself? Right? I mean, yeah, we're all like, come on. You guys are, you don't lie in church. Come on. (laughs) Yeah, you're going to go spend some. Like, I mean, we probably would give some of it away. Like a Chris and I won, we would give, we'd give a good percentage of that away. But man, we were not giving all that away. I mean, I could just rattle off, here's how I'm spending that money. I'm going to spend it on this, I'm spending this, I'm going to set some aside for this. Like, yeah, I mean, I've got all, all of my mind. It's going to directly benefit me. I'm going to use that for my own advantage. Guys, Jesus, he has all the power in the world. He has all the riches of the world. He's the creator of everything. He owns everything. And he doesn't see that as something to be used for his own advantage. To the point that these are the words that are used to describe him. I mean, he says this himself in Mark 10, 45. He says, uh, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The son of man was the way that he describes himself as as God. He's as uh, the Messiah. He says, okay, look, I'm not here to be served. No, I come to, to serve. I have all the power, but I'm not going to use that to my own advantage. I'm going to, I'm going to serve others instead of being all about getting, 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 people serving me. Or this, this is how Paul describes him in the letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Okay, he owns everything. But he says, no, 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 I... I I'm not going to use that to benefit me. Now, how about I give all of it away? All of it away. <laughs> Try to get milk as much of that $5 lottery ticket as I can for illustration work. He get all of it away. For our sake. So that we who are poor might become rich on his, based off of his poverty, based off what he did. And again, rich here, just so you know, isn't money. It's, it's all the heavenly blessings. All the blessings of heavenly realm, as, first, as Peter talks about First Peter. But it, that, he gave up everything that we could be rich in him. This is how, guys, I'm, it's just so fun to think about this this week. This is how our God thinks. Like, this is how his mind works. And, and, and just to take it another step for, uh, further, it, it's... You need to know, like, he doesn't think this way because he should. Like, he doesn't think this way because it's, it, like, if he doesn't think this way, then people are going to look down at him. Like, I don't know about you, but, like, if I had the three wishes, right, if, <laughs> if, if I had them and no one knew that I had them, 
then I might definitely use two of those wishes on myself. But if the other people knew that I had them, then I'd be feeling a lot of pressure to use it in a way that benefits everybody else. But see, Jesus doesn't benefit. He doesn't use who he is for the advantage of others because he feels like he should or he has some outside pressure, like, you better do the right thing, Jesus. And he's like, oh, I guess I should serve. Like, that's not how he thinks. It's not like, I want to do one thing, but I can't because that would be bad. And so I guess I'll do this. No, no, he just wants to do this. And guess you feel how different that is from us? Like, he just wants to serve. That's how his mind works. That's how he thinks. Like, Jesus, what do you want to do? I just want to serve. But you're God. You have all the power. You could use that for your own advantage. You could just get, get, get. He's like, oh, I, don't, I wouldn't even consider that. I wouldn't even consider using who I am for my own advantage. No, no, I just, I just want to serve. I want to serve. That is how God's mind works. I think that's amazing. D.A. Carson, uh, theologian, puts it this way. Uh, he says, the eternal son did not think, again, here's his mind, he did not think his status as God is something that gave him the opportunity to get and get and get and get. Instead, his very status as God meant that he had nothing to prove and nothing to achieve, and precisely because he was one with God, he made himself nothing and gave and gave and gave and gave. Again, that's how he thinks. Not because of, he doesn't think, hey, because of who I am, I deserve to get. No, he thinks, because of who I am, I want to give. Which leads to the next question, which would be, okay, well then, what, what does he give? Like, how does he give and give and give? And that's what the passage goes on to explain. So you pick back up at verse 6. He says, Who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, how did he give and give and give? Well, he who is God made himself nothing. That could also be translated, he made himself into a nobody. That God became a nobody. By taking the very nature of, and again, very nature, there's our word morphe again. So it's the very essence of, like he is this. To the same degree that he is God, he is this, a servant being found in human likeness. Now, I'm going to get a little nerdy on you again, okay? I told you I was going to try to limit myself, yeah, but this is, this is the last time I do it. But, the, but I think that this is, is really important and, and fascinating and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, <laughs> the, what this says, when he says the very, like, morphe, the very essence of the very nature of a servant and being found in human likeness, what this means is that, um, that, that Jesus is just as much man as he is God. And you could also put it the other way, just as much God as he is man. Like this, this is a, a statement um, about his very nature. Theological term is the hypostatic union. That he's 100% God and he's 100% man. 
which is, again, it's, I'm, I'm hitting you with all kind of mind-melding stuff, like Trinity and hypostatic union. It's like, a, uh, yeah, church gave me a headache today, but I understand. But here's the thing. If you go to the grammar, this statement, who being in very nature God, this word, the grammar, the tense of that is in the imperfect tense. So this is a statement that Jesus, who is God, also became man. This is not the statement of Jesus, who was God, then became man. All right, that, that's a difference there. He wasn't like, I am God now, but I'm going to turn off God. I'm not God anymore. Now I'm man. And then one day I'll go back to being God. No, he's God 100%. And then while still being God, he became man. Which is, again, crazy to try to wrap your mind around. But that's what this is telling us about who God is. And here's why I think one of the reasons this is important. Is that it shows us how low God will go... <laughs> And serving us. Like, it's not like he just put on a mask for a little while. But not, he wasn't really man. He just was like, I'll put on the man's suit and I'll take that off. No, he actually became us. He became a human. And not just any human, but uh, like he could have at least shown up as a king. But no, he shows up as a servant. The very essence of a servant, nonetheless. And then, to take it even further... He dies. Like, here's one of the things that's just been blowing my mind this week. Is that like this is how far God will go to serve. This is like his mind thinks I'm not about like, using who I am for my own, own advantage to this point. That he's going to use who he is. All the power, all the authority that he is as God to do the miraculous. Which is to become man as well. For what purpose? So that as man, he can now do something that God could not do prior to that. Die. Not just any death, but death on the cross. The most humiliating, the most excruciating kind of death there is. This is how God uses who he is. He says, oh, I'm going to become a man, a servant, so I can die for you and for me. How does God's mind work? How does he think? Here's one of the things it tells us. That not only does he want to serve, but there is no limit on how he will serve. There's no place where he says, okay, I'll, I want to serve, but I, I got to draw the line somewhere. And I'll do this, but I ain't going to do that. No, no, no. I'll die on a cross. Like there's no limit that he says, no, I won't do that. Because that's what God is like. Is that not amazing? That's incredible. I would have never, ever guessed that. Like if I'm coming up with like on my own blank page, tell me what God would be like. And I'm talking, I'm not, I'm not coming up with this. This is incredible. And then it gets even better when you add in the other element of, okay, like, who did he serve to this degree? Like, who is it that he served? I guess the answer is, it's, it's you and me. It's humankind. And like, <laughs> here's what I know about us. We're really the opposite of Jesus in so many ways. Like, he served us when we absolutely didn't deserve it. 
You see, we're not equal with God. But we often consider ourselves his equals, don't we? See, Jesus, though he was equal, he became a servant. He took a lower position. But though we are not equal with God, we often consider ourselves our, his equal when we, here's how we do this, when, when we think, yeah, God, I know what you tell me to do, but I'm not going to do that. God, I, I know you, you're telling me I should start doing that, but I'm not going to do that. See, when you, when you and when I, because I do this too, call the shots in my own life, like, I'm playing God at that time. You're playing God at that time. Like, God, yeah, I, I know what you're saying, but, you know, I really think I've got it under control here. I'm not going to do what you're saying. Like, I know that you have, you know, I know you're God and all that stuff, but I think I'm a little wiser than you. I think that this is actually what's going to be best for me. Like, when you're doing that, you're, you're, you're playing God. You're acting as if you are equal with God, but you and I were not. But Jesus, he, he is equal with God. And yet, he didn't consider himself any use for his own advantage. He lowered himself. He humbled himself. He served us, us, these crazy people, these, these, these stubborn people, these rebellious people, us, who think that we can be God and turn our back on him. That's who he serves. And again, guys, this is incredible. Here's what it tells us about the mind of God. It tells us that not only does he want to serve, and not only is there no line by which he won't cross in order to serve, but it also tells us there's no limit on who he will serve. That he would serve us in that way. That he would serve you in that way. Because here here it is, the mind of God. I want to serve. I wouldn't even consider doing anything else. I wouldn't even consider using it for my own advantage. I just want to serve. There's no limit on how I serve. There's no limit on who I will serve. This is the mind of God. This is how God thinks. As if that's not enough, this passage goes on and gives us one more insight into the mind of God. I'm going to have to hit this super quick, but it's worth pointing out. See, the passage goes on to say this. It says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue, acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And you see, this also gives us insight into the mind of God, but here's the twist. This is actually giving us insight into the mind of God the Father. And here's what we see. We get in this kind of peek into how the Trinity works, to how God relates to himself, Father, Son, and Spirit. Here we get a picture of how the Father relates to the Son, and this is what we see. As a result, or in response to Jesus' service, I just want to serve. No matter who, no matter what, I just want to serve. The Father says, I just want to serve. I just want to serve. I want to exalt you, God the Son, to your name, to the highest name, above all names. To your name, may your name be on everyone's lips, on everyone's tongue. It's your name that they'll confess, that you are Lord, that everyone should bow to you. Do you get the praise? See, and this is what, as the last phrase is, to the glory of God the Father. What brings glory to God the Father? It's making much of God the Son. This is how God thinks. It's as if God is in this battle of, okay, I want to serve. No, no, but I want to serve. No, but I want to serve. I want to serve you. I'm going to serve them. Okay, well, if you serve them, I'm going to serve you. Okay? Uh, this, is, this is how God's mind works. And again, I am just amazed by that. And I, and 
again, fumble with words here, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm attracted to that. I love that. But to go back to how this message began, if you can remember all the way back then, we're given this insight into the very mind of God, not just so we can see it, though it's amazing to see and hopefully moves you to worship, but also so that having seen his mind, his mindset can change our mindset towards others. That having been able to see God's mind, it would change our mind and how we relate to one another, which begs the question like, okay, well, how can this change my mind? And if I'm going to add on another question, why would it change the way I relate to others? I could see how seeing this would cause me to change how I relate to God, but why relate to others? So let me quickly hit both of those because here's how it works. Isn't it true that when you, someone serves you, it causes you to want to serve them? And you probably don't act on it 100% every time, but like, isn't there a little bit of a compulsion there? Like, and this... For example, Krista the other day, um, it was a couple weeks ago on a Thursday morning. I, uh, we have our, our elder meetings on Thursday morning, super early, 5.45 a.m. So I'm up fumbling around in the dark, trying not to wake anybody up. And I'm half asleep, but I'm going to the kitchen to make coffee because, you know, 5 a.m. And um, I, I turn on the light, and there is a, new, a, a love note from Krista along with a brand new travel mug because I'd been using her travel mug that, was, <laughs> that had gold glitter on the bottom and it said noonday on it. Uh, but I rocked it. I wasn't afraid. But uh, I don't know if she liked that. But, um, but it's a new travel mug and a sweet little love note. It's out of nowhere, completely unexpected. I, I felt very loved by that. A couple days later, I show up with flowers, bring flowers home to her. Now, I didn't bring flowers home to her because I felt like I owed her. I wanted to pay her back. I, I just wanted to do that. Like, she served me love. I felt so much love from her. It caused me to want to serve her. Like, I just, that's how it works, right? You get filled up a little bit, and you have some more to give out, and so you start giving that out, right? Guys, this is how you've been served by God. That because of how God's mind works, how he thinks, he says, I don't even want to, I'm not even going to consider using who I am for my own advantage. I just want to give, give, give and benefit you even if it means I die in your place. I'm doing that. He has served you to this degree. You've been served and loved by God. And as you soak in that and that registers with you and that comes home to your heart, then what will begin to form within you is a compulsion to serve. But we usually direct our compulsion to serve towards the person who first served us, right? But what's wild is that Jesus says, no, 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 no. Now I want you to take, I want you to take all of that energy that you have in light of how I've served you, and you want to now go and serve me, and I want you to redirect that towards one another. In fact, in John 13, Jesus, night before he's betrayed, or night that he's betrayed, night before he, he, he dies, he gets his disciples together, and he washes their feet. Just a symbol of how he served them, and he's going to serve them. And then he says this. He says, do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. He can ask us the same question. In light of what we're talking about here, how he served, do you understand what Jesus has done for you? 
And he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightfully so, for that is who I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash my feet? No, you should wash one another's feet. Later he would say, as I have loved you, so you love one another. In other words, Jesus is saying, okay, take, take all, of, all of that that's in you in light of how I've served you. And, and, and you, you'll worship me by doing this, but the, it's, this is what I want you to do. I don't want you to just go straight here with it. I want you to turn and take that to one another. That's how God's mind and what it leads him to do for us can change our mind and how we relate to one another. Will you, will you soak in how God served you? Will you rejoice in his mindset that leads him to live this way for you, to serve you, to not use who he is for his own advantage, but to humble himself and become a servant and then die in your place on the cross? Will you use that to compel you to go serve each other? Will you let God's mind change your mind? Let me end by giving you a couple practicals here. So all of that is really fluffy and really great, and I hope that you walk away loving that, loving God more and being amazed by him. But, like, what do we do with this? Well, here, here's a couple of things. The context of what Paul, what Paul writes in this passage is all about how we treat, treat each other within the church. And so if we are going to be compelled by God's love to go love and serve each other, and Austin with God, as we talk about as a church. But if we even say, okay, how do we love one another? Here, here's one of the things. We have a group, group that does set up and tear down every week. And it's grueling and it's a pain. But we would use some help. It would help things go a lot quicker if people would stick around and help with tear down. Or show up early to help with setup. And that's one way in response to how God served you. He's, okay, now redirect that. And that's just one practical way. It's certainly not the only way. It probably isn't the best way, but it is a way to give you some practicals. We have 35 kids that are learning about Jesus and being loved and prayed for by volunteers every single Sunday morning in this hall right here. We could always use more Midtown Kid volunteers. We have a, a group of people who read at Lee Elementary with the kids here every week. They have a lot more kids, third graders through kindergarten through third grade, who are behind in reading that need help to get on grade-level reading. You could help us serve here. We, we work with uh, foster kids at Helping Hand Home who need people who will love them and be there, a stable influence in their lives. We, we could use some more help with that. We serve refugees in our city through Refugee Services of Texas. We could use more help with that. And if you hear these things, and there's many more, but if you, if you hear these things and you think, okay, well, but I don't know if I really want to do that, then here's what I would like you to go next in your thoughts. Man, I'm so glad that Jesus is not like that. And I'm so glad that even though I'm like that, there was no, no limit to how he would serve me, and there's no limit to whom he will serve. And so he served me to the greatest degree. And just sit there with that thought until your heart starts to come alive. And then redirect your desire to serve him into serving one another. If you're interested in taking me up on any of those service opportunities, just write on your connection card or app, I want to serve, and we'll get in touch with you.
Let's end by taking communion. The communion table's up here in front and in the back. Anyone who's placed their faith in Christ alone, forgiveness of your sins, welcome to come and take communion. You don't have to be a partner at our church to do that. If you've never placed your faith in Christ, then I would really encourage you that perhaps even in light of hearing how great Jesus is and how he served you, that even today you would decide, I believe, I trust that he died for me. In simple statement of faith, confess with your lips that he is Lord and you're saved. You're adopted to the family of God. We'd love to know that if you do that so we can celebrate with you. The rest of us, before we get down the road on, let me focus on serving others. Let's, let's end the message by remembering how he served us. Because his body was broken for us and his blood was spilled for you. He served you to this degree. It's because of how his mind works. See, he wanted to do this. As crazy as that sounds. He wanted to do this because he loves you. And he wouldn't use who he is for his own advantage. No, rather, he would humble himself and become obedient to death, even death on the cross, for you to be reconciled to him. Rejoice in that. Let it come home to your heart. And then redirect your desire to show him love and return to one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for who you are. Jesus, thank you for who you are. Spirit, thank you for who you are. It's amazing to me that this is how you relate. And God, I wish that we all related that way and we're thankful in light of how you have loved us that you can empower us to do it. That Jesus, you're not just our example, even though you're an amazing example, but you're even better than that. You're, you're our empowerer. You're our enabler, to use that word in the most positive way possible. You make it possible for us to serve one another in light of how you've served us. God, your mind is beautiful. We're thankful so much for your service. So we take communion now and celebrate. May this come home to our heart to a greater degree that we can join you in serving others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org. 